So we're starting a new series here. It's called Entrusted. Uh, we'll be looking at how God gives us gifts. And those gifts are not just for us to enjoy, but it's to make us into a gift for others. And we'll be talking about specific areas of our life in the weeks to come. What I want to do this morning is kind of lay the, the, the framework or lay the foundation uh, for what's to come. And just talk about this very idea of, of being, in, being entrusted with a gift. Uh, I'm going to read a parable of Jesus. It's, it's the classic text when it comes to uh, the way God entrusts gifts to us. It also, we'll see here in a moment, it's a parable that presents some unique challenges. So it's found in Matthew 25, and it goes like this. And Jesus is here talking about the kingdom. So he says, the kingdom is like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Note that it's his wealth that he entrusts to them. The wealth belongs to him, but he entrusted it to them. And this was uh, not an uncommon thing in uh, first century world where you'd have wealthy landowners who had a lot of servants and they'd go away on a trip, either vacation or business trip, and they would entrust their most trusted servants with some money and expected those servants to make money with it. Okay, so common reality in the, in the ancient world. So to one, this master, this landowner gave five bags of gold and to another two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now, the man who had received five bags of gold went out at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So after a long time, the guy comes back from his journey and wanted to settle accounts with them. Now, the man who, brought, who, who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. He said, Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold, and see, I've gained five more for you. His master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. The master gave the same reply. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. But then the man who received one bag of gold came. He said, Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. In other words, I know you're a crook. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your gold in the ground. And see, here's what belongs to you. Now, I, I, I don't know this for sure, but I, I, I suspect that this guy is kind of doing a passive-aggressive dig at his master. He only got one bag of gold, and the other one got two and five. And so he's like, is this all I'm worth, or is this all my ability is? And he's kind of pouty about that. So he just says, here, you gave me one, well, I'll give you one back. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I was a crook. Right? You, that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, if I'm a crook, you should have at least put the money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who's got 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thus ends the reading of the Word of God for today. <laughs> Isn't that special? I say this frequently because it's important. 
but that's that God puts a premium on honesty. It's so important that we're honest. And, and when we come upon things in Scripture that just don't seem to jive, we're out loud about that. You can't, you can't begin to solve a problem that the Bible presents if you're not willing to name it. And I know in a lot of places, calling into question things that you read in the Bible, seen as being a lack of faith and sacrilegious, whatever. But that's not the biblical concept of faith. God renamed Jacob Israel because he was willing to wrestle with him. The name Israel means wrestles with God. And, and so right from the start, wrestling with God has been a central part of the faith. Uh, and you find this throughout the Bible, the heroes of faith. Um, they, when, when they think that God's acting uncharacteristically or not keeping his covenant, they say so. They're, it's part of the relationship with God. You're honest with God. And so we have to be honest about this. And I don't know what honesty looks like for you, but for me, I'll just say it out loud, this master dude doesn't strike me as particularly Christ-like. You can almost get the impression, in fact, you can easily get the impression, reading this parable, that following Jesus is a matter of, of like serving some ruthless Wall Street investor who entrusts you with some money and expects a 100% return, and if you don't measure up, he kicks you out in the outer darkness with his weaving and gnashing of teeth. And that leads to this idea of like, whoa, you, Christianity is one big sort of Amway club, you know, where you got to be producing 100% returns. And, and if you don't, you're out of the club. And so what, is our salvation a matter of, of you know, giving God the returns he expects from us? And you know, we just got to kind of earn that? Whatever happened to the, the God who, who you know, gives all of his stuff up front, who loves us for free and, and gives us the blessings up front by grace and you don't earn it and, and, and who motivates us with, with love rather than fear? What about, you know, does the Bible say the perfect love casts out all fear? This looks like... A, this passage looks like it's full of a lot of fear. You better produce or, or else. And preachers who are into this kind of thing can get a lot of manipulative mileage out of a passage like that. Oh, yeah. I, I, when I was first a Christian, I heard a message a guy gave on this parable. And he was trying to motivate us to do evangelism. And so basically his argument was this. Um, look at when God saved you. It was an investment. He's investing in you, and he expects 100% return, which somehow in this guy's brain got, it meant 100% return each year, which means you have to duplicate your salvation every year, which means you have to bring someone to Christ every year. All right? That, 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 that's the requirement here. And so the question is, is, on the judgment day, will he look into your eyes and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You got someone saved every year. Or will he say, you wicked, lazy servant, take this worthless piece of crap out of my house and throw them into outer darkness so they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now go out and evangelize. Hallelujah. <laughs> and that's why I became the single most obnoxious Christian on the planet my senior year in high school. I'm so embarrassed. Oh, I was just, but I didn't want to be thrown out with this weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, it's like, so you live in fear. Whenever you confront stuff in Scripture, especially when it comes out of the mouth of Jesus, that doesn't seem to jibe with the character that he reveals on the cross, because that's the de definitive revelation of God. Yeah. Know that there's something off. You're not understanding something or something else is going on. And, 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 and wrestle with it. I mean, some of the most precious insights that you can get in the Bible happen when you wrestle with the text. Like in the early church. Uh, it was widespread belief that God intentionally put difficult stuff in the Bible, even stuff that looks like it's not worthy of God, so that people would have to wrestle with it. God wants us to wrestle with this. And in, in, in the process of wrestling, we grow, we mature, we deepen, and, and, uh, uh, and, and we uncover some of the most precious nuggets of wisdom happen. They're not on the surface of the text. You've got to dig into it, and then you can find some real revelatory stuff. 
So let's wrestle with this for a moment. What are the problems that we have, not just with this parable, but with a number of Jesus' parables, is we don't really get parables. We don't talk in parables anymore. It's, it's not a genre that we're familiar with. And so when we come to these parables, uh, we don't often have the tools to interpret them rightly, which is why you get some really, really screwy interpretations of these parables like the one I just gave you. Uh, here's the thing about parables. When Jesus tells parables, he's usually basing it on some common, commonly known reality in, in, that his audience would be familiar with. If he tells a story based on everyday life that his audience would be familiar with. And the story is just there to be a prop, if you will, for the point he wants to make. Um, so the point of a parable is the point that Jesus wants to make with a parable and nothing else. Everything else is there to support that one point. It's, it's a little bit like, like getting a joke, the punchline of a joke. If, to understand a joke, you've kind of got to know kind of how jokes operate. And, and you got to know what to look at and what not to look at. So, for example, last week, uh, Seth, if you were here, you recall, he, he, he shared a joke. And it's based on a commonly understood or stereotype or reality, if you will, or who knows. But it's, it's that Baptists tend to resist change. They like the good old days. We've always done it this way. Why stop doing it now? And so we're poking fun at Baptists uh, uh, with this joke. And the joke goes like this. How many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is 10. One to change the light bulb and nine to set up a committee to discuss how good the old light bulb was. <laughs> it wasn't a very good joke. But, okay, see, here's the thing. If you got that joke, it's because of the, you know, you, you see what kind of the, you know about the reality that, that they're poking fun at, and you get the punchline. But if you were to ask something like, well, why would they have nine people in a committee instead of four? Wrong question. Or, or what criteria did they use to, to, to differentiate good light bulbs from bad ones? Or, or why, would, why would they on earth would Baptists set up a committee to talk about a light bulb? Well, you're not going to get the joke. It's, you got to ignore that stuff. That's just the prop. The, the point is the punchline and everything else is there to serve the punchline. And that's how parables operate. So, for example, uh, Jesus in, in Luke 11, he wants to do this teaching about how we need to be persistent in prayer. And so he tells a story. It's a story that his people would be familiar with. It's a common reality. Uh, there's this lady and uh, a guest unexpectedly shows up uh, in the middle of the night. And she doesn't have anything to feed this guest. And in first century rules of hospitality, that's a real no-no. It's a big embarrassment. So she goes over to her neighbor's house. But her neighbor, of course, is sleeping. He doesn't want to get out of bed. doesn't want to be bothered. And she's grouchy and resistant. But this lady keeps on nagging and nagging until finally the neighbor gives her some bread uh, so that she'll go home and leave her alone. Uh, now, here's the thing. If you didn't know any better, you might think, oh, so Jesus is saying that we're supposed to pray by nagging God, a God who would rather that we just leave him alone. And that'd be a pretty wrong interpretation of what Jesus is getting at. Jesus here is, is telling a story that his audience would be familiar with, but the story is just a prop. The punchline happens when Jesus says this. So, here's the point. Ask, where is it? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. And in the context of this parable, it means Keep on asking and keep on seeking and keep on knocking. That's the point. Everything else was just a prop. So if you interpret this parable as being about God, you're misinterpreting the parable. Um, or, you know, and Jesus doesn't comment when he uses these stories. The stories sometimes involve good behavior, sometimes bad behavior, but he never even comments on that because that's not the point. 
The point is the point that Jesus makes with that story. And, and, and so uh, it's not about God or, or, or anything of the sort. It's not about how, to, how neighbors should behave. It's rather about our persistence. Uh, knock and seek and ask. All right? That's the only point to take away from it. So also with this parable that we're dealing with here today. There's a common known thing that there's wealthy landlords who sometimes entrust their servants with, with money and they're expected to make money. And it's a common known thing that if they don't make the money that the master wanted, those masters can treat them pretty nasty. So Jesus, he doesn't even comment on that, but that's just the story he's going to tell. It's a prop. The punchline happens when he first confronts the faithful servant and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things and I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That's the punchline. And then there's the flip side of it, which is it comes out when he confronts the, the play it safe servant. And he says, for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. That's the punchline. It's not a parable about what God is like at all. God's got nothing to do with it. It's a parable about us, how we're to live and how we're to consider the gifts that we have. And what Jesus is saying here is this. You will find joy. You'll enter into the master's joy when you take what you've been given and you invest it in others. But if you sit on that, if you're fearful and you just cling to that, well, then even the little you have will eventually be taken from you and you're heading down a road of misery, outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the point and that's the only point of this parable. Okay, and that's, for all parables, just ask, what is the punchline? And that's the takeaway. So how does this apply to our life? And really, this whole series is going to be about how that applies to our life, but I'm going to here set the foundation for it by saying this. It's crucial that we understand that every positive thing we have in our life is a gift from God. Uh, to, to, to feel that gift quality, right now, think about some positive things in your life. Random things. Things that maybe you have that other people don't have, or that some other people might not have. So for example, if you have eyes that work, that's a positive thing. And there are a lot of people who don't have eyes that work. And if you're hearing me right now, you have ears that work. Good for you. A lot of people, some people are deaf. Uh, you know, if, if, if you have legs that can move you around, that's a positive thing. That's a gift because there, there are some people who don't have legs that can move them around. If you've got food, uh, plenty of food enough to eat, well, that's a gift because a lot of people don't have enough food. If you've got shelter, well, that's a gift because there's people who don't have shelter. And if you've got uh, enough clothes to wear, well, that's a gift because there's plenty of people who don't have that. And if you've got some freedoms you enjoy, uh, well, that's a gift because a lot of people don't have those kind of freedoms. And if you just took another breath, well, that's a gift because there's probably 300 people in the last second who just didn't take that breath. Their breath ran out. And so it's a gift. Every breath you have is a gift. Everything, every positive thing in your life is a gift. Now ask this question. Uh, why do you have those positive things when others don't? What can explain this? Uh, did you win a contest in some previous life uh, that merited you to have this as opposed to those who don't have this? And the answer to that question, if you're a Christian, is no, because we don't believe in reincarnation. Uh, You didn't win anything. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. Nothing. You you just got it, which means it's an unmerited gift. Now, maybe you could say, well, look, we just got lucky. I I was born in America instead of starving in Calcutta or Haiti or something. And there's, there's a truth to that. But see, the Bible doesn't stop there. It goes deeper and says, the way John puts it, John the Baptist, he says that a person doesn't have anything that they haven't received from God. 
Everything that you've got is, is ultimately from God. Or James puts it like this. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. What he's saying is God is inherently good, like we just sang about. He, is, he never shifts. He's always this good, and, he, and there's this good influence he's always bringing into the world. And with that comes the gifts that we receive. And so for everything that we have that's positive, we ought to be giving thanks to God. Amen. Give thanks to God. If it wasn't for God, we wouldn't have this, this kind of good stuff. Now, to say that, i add two things here. One is that to say that it ultimately comes from God isn't to deny that it also comes through other means. So, for example, maybe you're exceptionally cute. Well, that's a gift because some of us ain't that cute. Uh, so give thanks to God for your cuteness. But, you know, if it wasn't for your mom and dad getting together, <laughs> that had something to do with it, didn't it? And, and thank God you got your mom's genes and not your ugly dad. Well, the, <laughs> So you might want to thank your mom, you know, uh, you inherited that from her. Uh, or, or, or maybe you've got, uh, you're exceptionally smart. Well, good for you, because some of us aren't that smart. And, and so give God thanks. You've got a brain that works really good. But you might want to thank your mom also, because she didn't drink like a sieve while you were, you know, in the womb, or didn't start taking drugs that could have damaged your brain, because if she had, you wouldn't have this gift. So, so you spread out the thanks. Or maybe you've got a job that really is the greatest job in the world. Well, thank God for that because a lot of people don't have jobs or the jobs they have they don't like. So thank God for that. But, you know, you might not have got that job if your boss hadn't given you that stellar recommendation. Uh, so you might want to thank your boss. And you wouldn't have been in a position to get that job if you hadn't gone to that really good university that cost so much money that your parents mostly paid for. So you might want to thank your parents. And yeah, you can pat yourself on the back a little bit because I'm sure that you worked really hard in school and worked really hard at your previous job. So yay you. But then again, remember that uh, all the hard work in the world wouldn't have got you where you are if you'd been born in Calcutta rather than America and a thousand other benefits. All right? So there's a lot of things that are in place that allow the gifts to come to us. But what John and James are saying is that ultimately we wouldn't have any of those gifts if it wasn't for God. This world is oppressed by principalities and powers who come to kill, steal, and destroy. And, and the way the New Testament presents it is that we are just, it's like a, a dark covering over this entire planet. So any goodness that shows up is because God broke through the clouds and then gives gifts. He showers out the gifts. Amen. Ultimately, it comes from him. Now, there's also, is the case usually, that other people have to cooperate for that gift to make it to you. And people and angelic beings have free will, and they can thwart the will of God and squash those gifts. And that is why, folks, it's so random as to who has what gifts and who lacks them. But it's not because God is random going, eeny, meeny, miny, moe. It's just that when, the, when he unleashes goodness in this world, there's things that block it or things that cooperate with it, which explains why you've got it and maybe another doesn't. And so it's not about God being arbitrary. It's just about this complex world that we live in. But ultimately, if it wasn't for God and his invariantly good influence operating in this world, we'd be in total darkness all the time. So thank God for every positive thing that you've got. Amen. Amen. And thank others who are the means by which it came to you. So the second thing I want to say is this. Those gifts that reach us, they bless us, and God loves to bless us because he's our father and he loves to bless his children. But they also are things that are entrusted to us. Entrusted means this, to give a trust or responsibility to someone. Make them responsible for something. I'm going to trust you with this and trust. He's putting trust in us. Or it's a, it's a place to place trust for protection, care, or handling of something. Or the proper use of something. I'm going to trust you to use this for the purpose for which it is intended. Every gift we have is not just for us, but it comes with a purpose and it comes with a responsibility. 
And the purpose, and this is what this parable is, is about, and this purpose is to be invested in others, to multiply it, to spread it around. You've got maybe one bag of talents or maybe you've got 10 bags of talents, blessings that come your way. Yeah, enjoy those, but, but also know that God, God's purpose in, in giving that to you is so that you open that bag up and start to spread the good around and bless others with it. Um, and, and, and the promise of Jesus is that as we do that, the more we do that, the more that it multiplies and the greater our capacity is uh, to give it. And now we're entering into the joy of the master. This mindset, if we take it seriously and we've got to, it is radical, especially for us here in America. And it applies as well to other parts of the Western culture but I think most intensely to us here in America. Because it, it, it runs up against one of the most fundamental assumptions that characterize the American worldview. Uh, it, it, the fundamental assumption in America is that your life is your life. You're the boss of your life. It's your life. You can do with it what you want. You can live it how you want. And, and, and you're the decision maker on your life. Your time is yours. Your talents are yours. And, and the basic assumption is, is that the purpose of life is to just get all the benefits you can and, and enjoy them. And you have an inalienable, inalienable I have trouble saying that word, inalienable right. You have a right that can't be taken away that, that, to, to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. That's yours. So enjoy it. And that is true legally. And it's a good, it's a good law. Yeah, that, that, it, it's true legally. But biblically speaking and theologically speaking, it ain't true at all. It is false. In fact, it is antichrist. Because the truth is that your life is not yours. It is, it, it's, it, it's God's. He's, he's loaned it to you, all right? Uh, the master gave his wealth to the servants. Okay, but it was still his wealth, but it was a gift to them so that they could be a gift to others. So also, your life is not your own, and your time is not your own, and your money is not your own, and your talents are not your own, your skills are not your own. Yeah, you can enjoy them, but you're also supposed to use them to be a gift to others. You're, you've gotten gifts so that you can be a gift, and that's the purpose that God is entrusting you with by giving you that gift. It flies right in the face of of a fundamental aspect of, of uh, our culture, but it's one we've got to embrace. So how does it apply to us then? Well, look, at Jesus says this. He goes, uh, if you're faithful in little, I'll make you faithful over much. And um, that's how you begin to enter into the joy of your master. Now, I can rephrase that by saying this, that we're made in the image of the self-giving God. And the more we reflect that image the greater capacity we have to reflect that image, and the, the more we deepen our capacity to reflect that self-giving image, the more we enter into the joy of the one whose image we are made in. All right? Or Paul puts it like this in Philippians 2. We are made in the image of the God who did not cling to his own blessed state. Oh, it's blessed to be God. He had everything. But he didn't cling to that. He didn't play it safe. He didn't bury that in the ground for his own enjoyment. Rather, he poured himself out. Uh, he didn't sit on his love and sit on his joy. He wanted to multiply his love and multiply his joy. And so he created us and then became a human being and then died on the cross. He's a God who gives himself away. And he gives him joy to give himself away because his very essence is his self-giving love. We're made in the image of that God, which means, folks, we are... We're, we're not made to cling. We're not made to grasp onto the stuff that, that, that comes our way. We are made 
to not play it safe. We're rather made to be poured out. We're made to give ourselves away. We're made for self-giving love. And so we're living in congruity with the, the image of God when we're living like that and pouring ourselves out and giving the, our gifts away. As God had all the gifts, but he made himself into a gift for us, so also God gives us gifts that we might be made in a gift for others. And we're most fully human, most fully alive, most fully in, in congruity with, with, with our, 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 our design when we're living in this self-giving love. Uh, so it's, it, it, the promise of Jesus is that the more you give, the more you'll have to give, and, and the more you'll want to give, and, and the, the more you'll, you'll enter into the joy of your master, because now you're living the way life was supposed to be lived. It's like Jesus says uh, elsewhere, he says, if, if you try to find your life, you're going to lose it, but if you'll lose your life, you're going to find it. If you'll, if you'll lose that self-absorbed life, and live life the way God intends it, well, then you'll find out what life really is about. But if you're trying to get your life on your own, um, well, the little life that you've got is going to be lost. And instead of heading towards joy, now you're heading towards misery because you're living in contradiction to the way God actually made you. Now, some people need to hear this. Um, this does not mean, it, it does not mean that you're selfish if you care about your own needs. And it doesn't mean that, that, that you, you know, should never carve out time for yourself. Or that you shouldn't have boundaries. It doesn't mean that you're supposed to be a doormat that just exists to meet other people's needs. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, which means you're supposed to love yourself. Because after all, you're God's masterpiece. You have unsurpassable worth. So you should care for that. Which means you've got to think about your needs and you've got to carve out time for yourself. And you've got to have some boundaries. And you should never be just an extension of someone else's needs. So that's a, a true thing. And some folks need to hear that because they tend to not have a self of their own. They just live to serve others and nothing but that. But the balance is this. Yeah, have a healthy self, healthy boundaries, but also the balance is this. We've got to carve out space in our life so we're not just enjoying this ourselves, but we're giving ourselves away. And that is the purpose for which God entrusted it. He gives you the gift to be a gift. We've got to carve out space to give it away. And the promise of Jesus is that the more we do that, the better we get at that, the greater our capacity is to grow. And then we enter into the joy of God. This is God's great, great key to, for, to, for joy. Joy comes as we learn how to imitate God's self-giving. So if you're one of the Americans that are out there and you're just doing your own thing and living your own life and focused on yourself and just meeting your own needs and getting all the benefits you can for your own enjoyment and not pouring out to others, I, I, you're trying to find joy by accumulating things or whatever, I'm here to tell you that it's not going to work. Sorry. It's not going to work because you're not living, you're not living consistent with the, the self-giving God. You're not f putting on display the image of the self-giving God. So you're not posi positioning yourself in a, in a way where you can enter into the joy of the self-giving God. Or if you're one of those who are out there and, and you're just kind of doing your own personal individual spirituality thing, trying to find your inner child and inner self by retreating from the world and just focusing on your navel and chanting sayings and mantras from some guru or whatever, you're not going to find joy that way because you're living in contradiction to the self-giving God and you're made in God's image. But if you'll take that one bag or 10 bags of benefits that you have got that other people might not have, and realize that they're not just for you, but they're, they're, they're meant to be given away, uh, and you start pouring yourself out, well, now you'll find that the more you give, this is God's economy, the more you give, and it applies all over the place, the more you give, and I want you really to think about this now, the more you give, I am going to get to the point. The more you give, the more you've got to give. It's like, it's like a magic trick. You empty the bag and, and, and there's more there. You multiply the loaves and fishes. But only when you're willing to give them away. And the more you give, the more you've got to give. And, and, and the more joy you find in giving. And that's God's prescription for joy, folks. It's his prescription for happiness. It's, it's, 
Because now we're living in congruity with the way we're designed to be. I imagine that there's going to be one or two people who hear this message who maybe are struggling with depression. Or maybe a little few more than that. Or you're feeling kind of empty on the inside. There's this, uh, you know, a, maybe a loneliness or a melancholy that you have or a restlessness. Or maybe you're, like I think the guy in the parable was, maybe you're angry. And you're angry because life has not been fair to you. Other people, you get 10 bags, you only got one bag. And life's just not fair. You can't, you've been built a, dealt a bad deck. And, and, and you look at all the stuff other people have that you don't have, and they got all these gifts, and you don't have them, and they look pretty, and you don't. And, and so you're sad and you're angry. Well, look, if you're seeing a psychiatrist and they're prescribing, you know, some Volta or Zoloft or Prozac or something, uh, take it. There's no shame in that. If you've got chemical imbalances that cause you to be depressed, taking medication for that is no different than taking some antacid because you've got a stomach problem. Okay? It's a physical thing. So that just levels the playing field. No shame in that. But I'm going to give you a recommendation here that you, if you try it, you just might find it, it takes you to a level of joy that Prozac and Cymbalta and Xanax never could. Two steps here. Number one, I encourage you. I encourage all of us to do this, whether you're depressed or not, but especially if you're depressed, listen up. Stop and just think of every, list every positive thing in your life, something that you have that others don't have that some people don't have, and realize that there's nothing you did to deserve that, so give thanks to God. Start giving thanks, because gratitude is a necessary prerequisite for joy. If you want joy, you've got to stop comparing yourself to what people who have more than you, and look at the folks who have less than you, and give thanks, right? Because you could have been there. So give thanks. But then secondly, this is God's prescription here. Dr. Jesus is prescribing you some antidepressant here. Get your focus off yourself and get it on others. Now, I'm not saying neglect your own needs and all that, but, but, but take, carve out a space where you focus on the needs of others and start pouring yourself out and watch what happens. I mean, start giving yourself away. Maybe start actually listening to the people who talk to you, their needs. Start looking at, at other people in terms of and asking, is there any need that I can meet? Is there any way that I can serve? Is there anything that I have that I could give away to someone else? Maybe you want to volunteer at the uh, food shelf here. Take, commit to a couple hours a week in the food shelf or help out with children's ministry or help out the youth ministry or volunteer at an inner city elementary school. They can use some help or, or volunteer at the Dorothy Day Center or the family uh, homeless shelter right across the street or, or volunteer at an animal shelter. Do something that's not about you. Give yourself away and watch what happens. Watch what happens. Or here, here's a good one. Mark this one down. Next Saturday night here at Woodland Hills Church, we're hosting TAP, a TAP party. Uh, t uh, touching or yeah, uh, tap tap tapping into all potential or all possibilities. I don't know what it's called. But, but it, it's this ministry for folks who've got a, a, a diagnosis or a label of mental disabilities. And this, this, that population tends to be quarantined. And, and they bring these folks together with people who don't have that label. So we can have a night partying without any kind of labels. And just come there and you hang out with them and befriend some of them. And you can dance if you want. And you can watch video games or play video games if you want. Or watch wrestling if you want. Or just eat cake and drink coffee and, and burp if you want. It doesn't matter. But just show up. You see, you just show up and you are a gift. Your, your presence there is a gift. And, and maybe you've got to give up your favorite show or something to do that. And it'll feel like a tremendous sacrifice. But I'm telling you, it will be worth it. See, you, you, your life was meant to be meaningful. It's meant to be significant. It's meant to impact other people. You are a gift. In fact, say that. I am a gift. Say it like you really mean it. I am a gift. You really are a gift. You've gotten gifts so you can be a gift. But see, a gift a gift, a gift is meant to be given away. Yeah. Uh, to not give away, to sit on a gift or to bury the gift or just enjoy the gift yourself, it's unnatural. 
You're meant to be given away. And so if you're not giving yourself away, you're in, a sta- you're in an unnatural state. You're not living. Uh, it'd be like me if I buy my granddaughter a gift for her birthday. And say, I got your gift. And she's like, oh, good. But I'm not going to give it to you. <laughs> no, I'm just going to enjoy it myself. That's weird. She'd go, that's unnatural, Grandpa. <laughs> um, the purpose of the gift is to give it. And so also, here's what God entrusts you with. Be the gift that you are. And the more that you give that away, the more of you there's going to be to give away. And now you're entering the joy of the master, praise God. Uh, uh, just show up. Just be you. Just share you with, with other folks. And the promise of Jesus is that the more you do that, the more you have to do that, the greater your capacity is to enter into joy. Uh, this is what that parable is all about, folks. This is the punchline of that parable. You are a gift. Give that gift away. Um, and, 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 and watch what happens. Now you're entering into the joy of the Lord. Now you're, now, see, now you're learning what it is to be fully human and fully alive and experiencing the joy that God wants humans to enjoy. Now you're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Greatest sacrifice ever told, ever in history, was this. It was the crucifixion of Christ, where God became a human being and then took on our sin. And yet the Bible says this. Hebrews 12, that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the suffering of the cross. He scorned its shame. Now, he didn't enjoy all the suffering that that was going to involve, and it was unthinkable, but it gave him joy to do it. Why? Because he's looking at how it's going to bless multitudes of people, you and me. And that gave him joy. This is who God is. God has joy giving himself away at great cost to himself. And we are made in his image. And we will find that same great joy. We'll enter into the joy of the master when we begin to replicate that in our life. And being conformed to the, self, the image of the self-giving God who's perfectly embodied in Jesus Christ, that is the goal of everything. So the question I want to leave us with is just this. Uh, are, it's okay, it's necessary for you to pay attention to some of your own needs and to carve out time and have boundaries for yourself. Don't be a doormat. You need to have a self to give yourself away. You've got to appreciate the self that you are. But are you being poured out to the extent that God wants you to be poured out? Are you, in fact, living out this parable? Uh, are, are you giving your all uh, for, for, to, to fulfill the purpose for which God entrusted this gift to you? You might ask this question. Do you have, on some level, be honest about this, because sometimes we push all negative emotions out of our consciousness because they're unpleasant. But get in touch with this. Is there, is there a sense of emptiness in your life, uh, of, of restlessness, maybe of boredom? Are you bored with life and bored with your faith? Um, or kind of a pervasive anxiety there? That can be an indication that, that you, your capacity to give has outgrown your giving. God is calling you. You're not in total congruity with yourself because you're now able to do more. And you've been faithful in a little. That was great. But now God wants you to be faithful over more. You have a greater capacity to pour out and you'll find that you'll have a greater capacity for deeper joy. Maybe God's... The level of giving that you had in 2016 was great because that's where you were at in 2016. You had one bag, but now God wants to give you 10. And, and, and will you step into that? Will you step into that? This is why we can never coast on yesterday's order. We have to stay in touch with God because things change. We change. Reality changes. And so he's got new, new, new things for us, new marching orders. Are you current with the level of giving that God wants you to give, pouring out your gifts towards others? And um, I just encourage you to seek God's will about that. Where and who and how, those kind of details, you just got to follow God. Uh, he'll lead you and guide you. 
But if nothing clear comes, well, then just start picking something. Call the church, the volunteer place, and say, where do you have a need? You can use it. Um, but step into that. Obey. Because, folks, this is, the prescri- this, is a, this is what we were created for, and this is the prescription for joy right here. Give yourself away. For the joy set before you, say yes to the call of God in your life to be the gift that you are. Would you stand? I'm going to call forward the prayer team. And uh, if you're here this morning, this is how they like to serve. Uh, They'd love to serve you by praying for you. And I encourage you to come up here and get prayer. Or if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, but something's tugging on your heart, you want to find out about that, come up here. And they'd love to describe to you how to get started in that walk. As we leave here, can we do it with a commitment? First of all, the prayer that the Holy Spirit seals us on our hearts so we don't forget. And can we do it as a commitment to be the good and faithful servants that he's called us to be, to enjoy the gifts that we have, but also to be sharing those gifts with others. If you're willing to leave this place with a commitment to be poured out uh, for others, say amen and get out of here and pour yourself out. God bless you guys. See you next week.